0: This is the McKinsey Podcast, where we help you make sense out of our world's toughest business challenges.
1: Welcome to the show. I'm Lucia Rahili. And I'm Roberta Fissaro. When it comes to generative AI, McKinsey senior partner Alex Singla says it's a great tool, not a terror. It allows you to actually
0: take away some of the mundane tasks you don't want to do anyway. And open up time to spend more time problem-solving, cracking hard problems, spending time with your people, coaching your folks, and really thinking.
1: Alex joins me and McKinsey partner Michael Chewy to talk about how business can make the best use of Gen AI.
2: But first, a quick check-in on the state of U.S. consumers with McKinsey senior partner Kelsey Robinson. This is one in a series of check-ins we'll have about consumer behavior. Kelsey, thanks for joining.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: So, how has consumer behavior changed since this time last year?
3: So, we're continuing to see what I would call mixed signals from consumers, and it's really driven by an uncertain economy. So, with inflationary pressure and a tight labor market, the U.S. consumer is spending differently, and they have some actions that are pretty contradictory. There's three main things we're seeing in our latest research. So, first, There has actually been an increase in their confidence versus last summer. So now a third of U.S. citizens are feeling optimistic. Last summer, that was a quarter. um, And optimistic specifically about the country's economy. Uh, And similarly, we see the pessimism is waning. So that's good. The second is consumers are still worried about rising prices and inflation, pretty consistent with last year. And increasingly, they're worried about job security. And lastly, we're seeing that while there is this uncertainty, consumers are still opening their wallets. They're, they're just being creative about it.
2: So let's talk about that creativity. What are consumers doing to save money?
3: The U.S. consumer is choosing to s- save by, primarily by trading down. So they mm. are foregoing more expensive brands or stores for cheaper ones. Or they might be changing the quantity that they buy to get the cheapest price. So that might mean they're buying less quantity-wise, or in some cases, they might be bulk buying to stock up and get a lower price overall. And what we saw in our latest research was that 80% of consumers are trading down. There is a category difference here too. So we're seeing there's slowing growth in categories like home and pet, And the categories that are more resilient are things like beauty and a lot of categories that are linked to out-of-home experiences, right?
2: Yes. I'm thinking about my own purchasing, Kelsey, just thinking about how much more I'm spending on travel and getting out of the house finally. Um, But what about splurging? Is anyone doing that?
3: 40% of U.S. consumers told us they're going to splurge in the coming year on themselves and their families, Travel is a category that they're definitely saying they will splurge on. But they're also saying that they're going to splurge on categories like apparel and footwear.
2: When you looked at the spending patterns, did you see any generational differences?
3: Yeah, a lot of the differences we can see in generation. So if we think about a Gen Z versus a boomer or even a Gen Z versus a Gen X U.S. consumer. So a few examples that we just talked about splurging. And what we see is that intent to splurge is much higher for the younger generation. And this is true even if you control for income level too. And so we have two-thirds of Gen Z saying that they, they intend to splurge and treat themselves. And you compare that to 20% for boomers. The second place we see it is you know, inflation is obviously the very top of mind. But again, job security is really... Top of mind. And this is much more meaningfully top of mind for the younger generations. We think about the last year, lots of headlines on companies tightening their workforces. And we see 74% of Gen Z is worried about employment, three quarters, it's huge, versus about half of Gen X. And then lastly, uh, the trade down behavior is also correlated with generation. And so, again, this dichotomy of while Gen Z tells us they're more likely to splurge, they're also telling us they have to and that they're more likely to actually trade down and manage costs in other areas.
2: So Kelsey, what are the key takeaways for companies given these trends?
3: Yeah, I think there's three main implications. One, there's a real need in this moment to be what I call pretty ambidextrous, so both finding the way to deliver value and meet the consumer where they are on the trade-down side. And communicate how you're delivering value to them, because every consumer is thinking about it. At the same time, again, that spend economy, figuring out in what moments for what products, for what consumer are they willing to splurge, are they willing you know, are they willing to treat themselves? And can you be part of actually that joy, right? that actual enjoyment of whether it's at a home or a specific category in retail. Number two, link to that. The idea of really personalizing how you're speaking to consumers in this moment is is critical. You know, mm-hmm. you and I probably have very different, even purchase behaviors right now. And so how do companies right. learn as much as they can to make sure they're meeting the consumer where they are? And what we know is that we know 70%, over 70% of consumers actually expect companies to personalize things and they get frustrated when it's not, doesn't happen. And in this moment, we've seen it's even more important lastly, one one learning uh, we haven't touched on yet is there is a big change of omnichannel shopping. That's six percentage points higher than last year. Over eighty mm-hmm. percent of consumers are researching and browsing across multiple channels. So you know, whether they browse in the web or they browse in the store and then convert in one of those channels for a single trip, they're all shopping across channels now. And what's different now, is also not just the younger generation. It's also Gen X and baby boomers who are doing it too. Really continuing to figure out how do we service and create a seamless experience in an omni way is critical as well.
2: Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for
3: having me and thanks for a great discussion.
2: Also critical is figuring out how to
1: make the best use of Gen AI in business. Here are McKinsey Partners, Michael Chewy and Alex Singla to lead the way. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. And Michael, welcome back. It's great to be back. So, Gen AI has just exploded into the popular imagination over the past 10 months or so, catalyzed, of course, by the launch of ChatGPT last November. And many folks are ricocheting between delight and awe and probably, in some cases, fear. So, Alex, what did this new research tell us? about the business areas that are likeliest to benefit the most from Gen A.I.
0: I think what's important is the notions around like A.I. and even generative A.I. have been around a lot longer than when it hit mainstream. Different than what some of the, the prior automation research had shown is, you know, this actually has real influence on white collar work. Um, and that's a real fundamental differences. So for what uh, we've, we've seen before, so Things in the banking industry, uh, in particular the healthcare industry, have real huge opportunities that one might not have seen before in prior technologies and prior automation, um, given the kind of the white collar knowledge worker.
1: What is it about these specific industries that you mentioned? You mentioned a couple banking and health that makes them so conducive to benefiting from Gen AI.
4: So around marketing and sales, for instance, this ability to either create personalized marketing or, in some cases, even create brand marketing, ask ask a system to create an advertisement for you, a a script, the music, even the video is coming at some point. So, you know, sales and marketing, um, those industries, in some cases, have quite a bit of sales and marketing. For for example, retail banks uh, do. Um, These technologies are also very good. um, for customer service or customer operations, and you know, we talk about them being chatbots to the extent to which they can actually answer questions. Um, and again, if you have a lot of customers who are calling and asking you questions, um, uh, or in fact, that you have internal applications, um, then the the potential is is really high there. Um, another area which you know we spend a lot of time on is the potential of these technologies to improve the ability to write software, uh, because to a certain extent, computer languages are just a language. And if these are, you might've heard the term large language models, you can ask it in English or whatever language to please write me a piece of code that does XYZ. We have a lot of programmers in banks. We have a lot of programmers in retail companies. And so that's a large potential for um, for value as well. And then I think the most Underrecognized case is the ability of generative ai technologies to do generative de- design in research and development but they can you know create a design for you um create an electrical circuit uh design a car i mean there are a number of those sorts of things and again if you map those business functions to different industries you do find industries like banks have a lot of customer service have a lot of programmers um you know, and do a lot of marketing. And so you can say, well, that's why they have a lot of potential. But we do see, quite frankly, there's no business and there's no function where these technologies don't have some potential.
0: You know, and maybe just one comment to just build on what Michael just said, like on the R&D side, I was literally on on a call with a pharmaceutical company just earlier today. And the entire conversation was around, you know, chemicals and the different um, configurations you put chemicals in to create new drugs and new products that, you know, would take years to experiment with? And can they leverage generative AI to put different chemicals together to accelerate R&D in the pharmaceutical space? It's not like that has been done or proven yet in terms of, you know, making the perfect drug or product that much faster. But that's the thinking of where people want to go.
1: Do you think it's possible that it will actually expand the frontiers of creativity and innovation in new ways, broaden the scope of what's possible, in other words?
4: Yes. You know, writers usually read a lot, and artists usually look at a lot of art, and you know, movie makers watch a lot of movies. And so, to a certain extent, we, even in our own human creativity, you know, use the experience and knowledge knowledge that we have. If you can use these systems to accelerate productivity create more examples what we know from our you know product development research is that oftentimes the problem is you know you you close down the funnel too quickly you don't continue to look at multiple alternatives and what we've discovered you know, clients doing is saying, look, we can create more alternatives using generative design. And if you can hold open more potential, then maybe you can actually end up with better products at the end of the day, create whole new categories, create new drugs, um, you know, create systems that are more sustainable, produce less carbon emissions. There are all the kinds of things that we want to do with R&D. And if we can you know, create a superpower by using these technologies. It can be great, not only for companies, but for humankind.
0: You know, one other thing on the creative side, which I know this isn't exactly the way you're asking the question, but it sparks something to me, which is, yes, generative AI can be creative, but it also, I think, increases the creativity of the user. So let me tell you what I mean by that. Is we had, um, it was 25 chief marketing officers in Europe. We bring p- together um, groups of people for roundtables and we, did, we spent a 90-minute exercise walking them through creating their own creative for a product within their business, leveraging generative AI. So you had these thir- you know 25 chief marketing officers who are literally creating a creative on their product in real time. And you just saw like their eyes open up to say, wow, I, I knew what this could do, but it was giving them ideas that they might not have had before, even if the answer wasn't perfect. At the end, it was expanding their thinking on what is possible, and so I think yes, generative AI can be creative, but it can also like accelerate your own individual creativity.
1: How was the feedback on that?
0: You know, I, I will be very honest. I was nervous like crazy. <laughs> I mean, this could be. I literally asked. I said, "Do we have something else to do for eighty minutes? If this is a complete dud in ten minutes?" <laughs> and so I was nervous, but it was a complete home run. Like because you know it was an it was a an environment in which people just felt free to kind of like play like a kid right like play a little bit around
1: let's turn now to attach some numbers to all this and talk a bit about what gen ai might really be worth to the businesses that harness it successfully so let's start with what the research tells us about the value gen ai might add overall to the global economy
4: yeah when we look across all of the different um, Use cases, you know, in say corporations and other organizations, you know, we're talking, you know, two to four trillion dollars annually of potential um, value that can be unlocked by using these technologies. Every knowledge worker has the potential to use these technologies to increase their productivity. Right? If if I can have something, you know, write a the first draft of a document for me or an email that excels my personal productivity, and if you look at all those micro cases the actual potential might be double of what i just described uh, you know at the corporate level so it really has has uh, enormous uh, potential to increase the productivity of uh, of the global economy and you know from a macroeconomic standpoint we're all aging and in fact we're going to loo- we won't have as many people and so um, if we're going to have the next generation do better than our generation we really need to increase productivity and so that's one of the potential that we have in front of us
1: are we talking there about Gen AI specifically, on top of the productivity value that we expect like regular artificial intelligence to bring, or both together?
4: That's a terrific uh, um, point. Um, so the two to four trillion I mentioned is Gen AI only. Wow! Uh, but when we look at the overall economy, there is there are lots of other types of technologies, including physical robotics, but other types of AI, which also can generate value. And we shouldn't forget about those, um, particularly in the corporate context.
0: You you know, just one one other thing that I think is important with generative AI from uh, other technologies historically is is also that the usability of generative AI is so simple, right? One of the reasons things took off is because the interface, the user interface was just so darn easy, right? Whether you're eight years old or 80 years old, Anyone could use the chat GBT, right, and get out responses. The willingness to adopt, I think, is much, much greater than before, right? So some of the challenges historically, is like with AI, people described it as, oh, it's a little bit of a black box. I'm not exactly sure what those people in the data science environment really created there.
4: To be clear, eight-year-olds often could be faster adopters of many technologies.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs)
1: I have one at home. I can attest to that. Faster than I, anyway.
4: <laughs> it's actually supported in recent survey research that we've done, right? So we've been surveying thousands of business users around the world on the use of AI. And what's interesting, this year we actually asked about their personal use of these technologies, but roughly the same percentage of people in the C-suite as in middle management, as in entry-level positions, were, had already started using these technologies on a regular basis, both at work as well as in their personal lives. And so that's something that um, is a little bit different. Oftentimes, some technologies are mostly used um, you know, in middle management or in the front line and executives. You know, they, they have other people do that stuff for them. But here, they really have personal experience, and that's quite powerful.
0: I had uh, a CEO client who um, I was blown away. Fortune 100 CEO client who said, I've been taking an AI class for the last six weeks on a Saturday for the last six weeks. It's an eight week class. So he himself has been spending time learning how to code, what it means, what it takes. I was super impressed, blown away um, as just an example of of what how executives are thinking about their own learning journey along this dimension of generative AI, which I just wouldn't have heard you know, a year ago from clients.
1: So in the research, you suggest that in retail and consumer goods, Gen AI could increase profits by as much as $400 billion to $660 billion. Say a little more about how these industries will benefit.
4: It does come ba- back to what are the use cases that derive the most value for companies. And so again, if we think about the those use cases that you know where Gen AI is most applicable. If you think about sales and marketing, for instance, and if you're a retailer or you're a consumer products company, you want to get to consumers, and so there are a number of ways to do that. Um, one is if you do brand marketing, and you know the, it's it's you know it, it, Alex's uh, story about the CMOs is is very instructive here. Again, if the marketing department can create more alternatives, more first drafts of brand marketing. Scripts, um, you know, video, images, music—all those things—that accelerates their productivity. You know, can they get better messages, more powerful messages out faster? But also, you want to go straight to consumers on a one-to-one segment, of one-type of marketing basis. The ability for these technologies to create um, more compelling, individualized marketing that That creates value um, similarly on customer operations again, you often have customers calling in, and um, of course you know you have some people who are you know helping there in your contact centers, but again, either you can automate some of that in order to make sure there's always someone you know or uh, someone's able to have a conversation at three a m when they're, when the turkey's not defrosted yet, or what have you uh, or um, you can actually use this these systems to augment human contact center uh, representatives and give suggestions have also be a, a virtual expert for them. That's one of the, one of the sort of meta use cases that we know these systems are very good at. If you can take a corpus of your corporate data and hook it up to a large language model, you can query it.
0: You know, one, one other area in the retail space that um, I, I've been having lots of discussions around is just on store operations as well. So often in the store operations or in a the- fast food chain operations, the manager that's running that operations and providing them the generative AI tools to provide best practice insights, key things around that specific store operations, whether that be inventory, sales, footprint, but having that at their fingertips so they can make better business decisions every single day is an enormous unlock for retail operations. Because as you can imagine, if you're a large retailer with, you know, a thousand stores across the country, the variability of that store or operations manager is quite large.
4: There's a really interesting piece that Joanna Stern from the from the journal did just similarly about drive-through uh, lanes in quick service restaurants, where using this generative AI technologies allows uh, a customer to be able to have a conversation. And what's interesting, you know, you worry about jobs too, but, you know, the other part of the story was, that these restaurant operators don't actually have enough crew to serve the the, the drive through lane. And so it didn't actually reduce any uh, labor. It just allowed them to actually provide the service, which they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. And so we see all of those dynamics happening.
1: So, Michael, could you just explain that a little bit more? I pull up to the drive through, and instead of speaking with a frontline employee, I'm speaking with a, chat bot. a Gen AI bot.
4: Exactly. Yeah, and so you're going to ask about, you know, how many calories are in this, um, you know, I'd like to modify my order in the following way. And it it was, you know, that she was actually testing it. She had recordings of screaming children and dogs barking. She laid on the horn during part of it. And so, and by the way, if it, you know, if it has a problem, then it actually turns you over to a human too. So, you know, there's different layers for how you can make these things resilient.
1: Let's now talk about the question that looms large for many of us when we talk about Jenny. what does gen ai mean for the future of work and for workers which jobs do we expect to be affected the most
4: In our research you know we use uh, a taxonomy that you know roughly is 20 to 30 activities detailed work activities per uh, occupation and so typically what these technologies do is uh, automate parts of people's jobs and so that's Um, and you could describe that as creating superpowers because if, you know, the machine does X and I have, you know, I save an hour, how can I use that hour more productively? So that, that is all there. So I I think that's number one thing to think about. Number two is in many cases, and you know, this came out in other research that we did on the future of work in America, for instance, despite some parts of people's jobs, you know, being automated the demand continues to increase. And so like let's take the example of of software. I can increase the productivity of software engineers and we're doing that actually within our own firm. But we still need more software. And so, you know, we're going to accelerate the productivity of the people we have. We're not going to have fewer people. We're actually going to have, you know, we're going to keep adding people and having them be, be more productive create Higher quality software, more software, but there will be shifts. Indeed, there will be shifts uh, over time. And so, again, it's you know any individual management team is going to have to make a decision about what you're going to do with, you know, the time that gets freed up between now and 2030. In the U.S., for instance, about a third of the activities uh, that we're paying people to do today uh, potentially could be automated. Not just using generative AI, but all kinds of technologies. By the way, that's not that dissimilar. It's a fast pace, but not that dissimilar to what we've seen historically.
1: What should knowledge workers be doing now, if anything, to prepare for this new era of gen AI? What kinds of new skills or muscles might we have to develop to make this shift? I would
0: say, if you're a knowledge worker, start playing with the tools and understand what it can do. Because wh- what it would what it allow you to do is, it allows you to actually take away some of the mundane tasks you're not, well, you you don't want to do anyway, and open up time to spend more time problem solving, cracking hard problems, spending time with your people, coaching your folks, um, and really thinking. And so I think there's there's a shift in terms of how people spend their time over time um, on the knowledge worker side. And so, you know, I think that's one of the things I always encourage people to do is, just like we did with the chief marketing officers, is play with it so you can understand how you can leverage it to actually be more impactful, more effective in what you do.
1: And you mentioned the marketing executives example. What about business leaders generally? What should business leaders be doing to make this pivot?
0: Well, l- listen, I, as I was kind of mentioning, I think it is continuing to play with the tools, understand their uses. um and then the, the reality is it will, will require people to retrain, learn new skills, redeploy themselves in ways in which they can find and create value in different circumstances.
4: And, you know, our colleagues wrote this book about Rewired recently, all of those aspects of how you transform a company using technology. Gen AI is another tool that allows you to do that.
0: You know, a lot of our Lot of the organizations I spend, I'm spending time with is how do I redistribute that to do the things that you know they just haven't been able to because there's been a backlog on innovation, on R and D, on new markets that they had not had just capacity to tackle. It just opens up the the the, the um this the sphere to tackle things that you know you just didn't have time to do before.
1: Will Gen AI then simply become? Table stakes, or will some leaders use them differently from others in order to sustain that edge that they're gaining?
4: Well, sadly, in some ways, it is a run faster business. Um, you know, if you get there sooner, you'll learn, you move up the learning curve. But everyone else is going to be running too, um, and so you know, it's it's not like generative AI is going to give you a, a competitive advantage forevermore. Um, but again, what we have found is, you know, these technologies tend to increase the spread between the leaders and the laggards um, and so if you learn faster you can you know achieve you know longer lasting competitive advantage but that's not because you do do something once and then you rest on your laurels uh, but you have to keep learning ke- keep pushing you know adding to the capabilities that you have you know increasing the number as well as the bread the 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 effectiveness of the things that you're already doing um, uh, you know using generative AI
0: You know, and just to to build on that, I think there are certain areas which, to your point, absolutely become table stakes over time. So let me just give you the silly example, but simple example. Yeah, I'm in human resources, and I'd I'd like to have generative AI write me job descriptions. And so will that become competitively taken away across every company out there? Of course it will. That will just become core to any core HR technology platform that people end up buying over time. However, There'll be, other issues, there'll be other solutions and opportunities on generative AI in which I'm leveraging my internal proprietary data and insights onto the model that will give me strategic advantage over time. And so the better I am at leveraging my own data and insights into the models to give me more um, opportunities, that I think can be competitive advantage. I do think, and I say it often, speed is a strategy in and of itself. So those who run faster will win over time because speed is a strategy. But with with all that said, at the same time, um, those who then are able to learn faster will also win at the same time, right? Because they will be able to deploy these solutions and get greater adoption, which is a key thing, getting people to adopt in the change management component, which has less to do with technology and more to do with people, will be another major factor in the equation on how do you create strategic distance to win over time.
1: Anything in the research on geographic variation, how much traction do we expect gen AI to get globally?
4: Uh, what we're seeing is that it's being adopted all around the world. Um, and so it really, you know, partly because of the ease of deployment uh, we're see- and the fact that, you know, these technologies often speak many different languages, uh, computer languages included.
0: You, you know, one thing I, I find fascinating on this topic of ge- geography and globally is different different use cases are being adopted or should be adopted. So let me give you an example. You know, uh, a generative eye tool that would give recommendations to a patient on what they could go do if they had the following symptoms. Like you, usually in the U.S. or in a Western market, you'd need some human in the loop between that machine and the patient. A doctor would have to look at it because you'd want to make sure that from a liability perspective you had confidence in the recommendation you're giving a patient of course however at the same time if you look at you know a village in India or a village in Africa in which the person doesn't have access to the medical to the hospital or to a doctor then all of a sudden that solution you might think twice about the risk and the speed at deploying in the US you might have a very different perspective of the speed at deploying in a village in India, because the alternative for that person isn't the same. And so the, the solution is going from zero to 100 with no with less liability, but that's a much better alternative for the patient than you might see in America. And so I think this geographic question, again, back to this kind of humanity point, is is all intertwined. And I just find it to be a fascinating way to think about how generative AI can add value and how it, it might differ depending on where you are around the world.
1: How quickly do we expect these changes to begin to take hold and really start to have impact?
0: It kind of depends. If you want the easy, simple use cases, those things are going to go fast, super fast. Those areas in which you're going to leverage generative AI to like reimagine or transform a customer journey or a domain of your business, uh, those will take more time to get implemented. But I think are critically important to tackle at the same time, because it's going to force you to tackle some of the really hard and realistic issues and questions you're going to have to deal with, whether that be like risk on data privacy, um, IP protection. Um, those are real questions, implications on what am I going to do if it has people implications? Am I going to capture the value or am I not? And what I find is, you know, you can outline your guidelines and protocols on those, and you should, but that's a little bit in theory. And until you actually start to apply them in a real world use case or domain or journey in which you're forced to make these decisions around risk management, legal issues, people issues, technology issues, that's really where the rubber will hit the road for those organizations that make those hard decisions and then are able to learn and move forward.
4: I just want to emphasize a a point that Alex was making, which is you know, as as we've been talking with clients, we found it's really important to work on real problems, right? Not just the little toy problems, but to to grapple with the hard problems that can really drive value. Uh, because, as Alex was saying, you learn things, and and to the extent to which you have limited resources, limited talent, use it on problems that really matter.
1: So, how much time do you do you think that folks
0: have? I would just encourage companies get moving get learning, get having impact, and build excitement. Um, and that in itself will create a, fi- a flywheel of speed um, and impact that you're going to be excited about.
1: Alex and Michael, thanks so much for joining us. This was a great discussion.
0: Thanks for having us on. Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Lucia Raheli.
2: And I'm Roberta Fassaro.
1: Find us on McKinsey.com. We'll have a transcript of this episode up shortly.
2: And check out the McKinsey Insights app where you can find this podcast and other helpful content updated daily.
1: And if you would, we'd love for you to leave a rating and a review. We'll see you in two weeks.